Hi, welcome to Aspen Chapel's podcast on today, the 4th of December, and it's the second Sunday of Advent, and we're looking at the theme of Advent and hope. Well, today we're looking at hope, subject of hope and Advent. And here are some examples of people hoping. I am a wise man looking for a sign. I believe the world is meant to be a fairer place and that I should help to change it. I have access to people of power and authority, but I'm not sure how to use my influence. Pray for me and for all other influential ones who are waiting on a sign. I am a poor widow looking for a purpose. I am tired of being talked about, treated as a statistic, pushed to the margins of human conversation. I want to meet someone who will have time for me, someone who will listen to me, someone who will not take for granted who I am or what I have to offer. Pray for me and for all poor people who are waiting to be taken seriously. I am an old man waiting for my death. I have looked at the world so long that it wearies me. I have prayed to God so hard for my people to be delivered and from all that diminishes and destroys them. And I wonder as my life closes if change will ever come. Pray for me and for all older folk who are waiting for a savior. I am a young mother waiting for my child to be born. I feel the new life inside me. I sense great promise throughout me. I know my love grows for the one I have not seen. Yet I fear that the world may be a hostile place for the little one who is to come. Pray for me and for all expected mothers who are waiting for their child to be born. I am every woman and every man. In my loneliness, I'm waiting to be visited. In my uncertainty, I'm waiting to be reassured. In my happiness, I'm waiting for deeper fulfillment. In my soul, I'm waiting to be wanted. Pray for me. And pray for yourself, for we're all waiting. Well, those are the cries that go out to the world from different people, from all of us, in different situations. And here is the sort of traditional Christian response to these cries, told in the same way. I am the Lord your God. I have waited on you. And have heard your prayer. Now is the right time. I am coming soon. So prepare a way in the desert. A cradle in the hay. A meeting place in the marketplace. A table in the upstairs room. A cross on a hill. A grave in a garden. A throne in your heart as in heaven. For now, again, I will bend down and remember you. 
I will answer you with prayer, and your waiting will end in joy. That's the traditional response. But I wonder how that actually chimes in reality. It hits all the bases, you know, that we heard. He, and it is traditionally he, is coming soon. We are to prepare a way in the desert, referencing Jesus being tempted in the desert, a cradle in the hay, Christmas, a meeting in the marketplace, Jesus' ministry, an upstairs room, the Last Supper, a cross on the hill, a grave in the garden, and a throne in heaven. I will remember you. I will answer your prayer, and your waiting will end in joy. That is, that's the Christmas hope for the wise man, the poor widow, the old man, the mother, and the everyman. That's what we're offered as we look into an uncertain future. We look forward in fear, and we're offered hope. But, you know, hope is a slippery thing. Henry Miller, sa- Henry Miller said, hope is a bad thing. It means that you're not what you want to be. It means that part of you is dead, if not all of you. It means that you entertain illusions. It's a sort of spiritual disease, I should say. And there is something in that, the idea really of heaven being pie in the sky when you die, of hope giving people a reason to endure suffering rather than to rebel against suffering. George Orwell, when he was in in writing 1984, this is an extract from 1984 that I'm going to read now, where he's talking about the lottery in that totalitarian state in 1984. He says, in 1984, the lottery, with its weekly payout of enormous prizes, was the one public event to which the common people paid serious attention. It was probable that there were some millions of people for whom the lottery was the principal, if not the only reason for staying alive. It was their delight, their folly, their anodyne, their intellectual stimulant. Where the lottery was concerned, even people who could barely read and write seemed capable of intricate calculations and staggering feats of memory. There was a whole tribe of men who had made their living simply by selling systems, forecasts, and lucky amulets. Winston had nothing to do with the lottery, which was managed by the Ministry of Plenty. But he was aware, indeed everyone was aware, that the prizes were largely imaginary. Only small sums were actually paid out, the winners of the big prizes being non-existent persons. False hope in a totalitarian society And the concepts of salvation, that concept, the Christian concept of salvation, could almost be seen as a false hope. The British Prime Minister, Theresa May, said last week, I don't know if you read this, that her faith in God was helping her with her decision about Brexit. And Eddie Marsden, the British actor, commented on Twitter So now, my country and my children's future 
is in the hands of Theresa May's imaginary friend. Another aspect of hope. It can seem like this sort of hope is actually a denial of reality. That if we have our diagnosis or are facing a drama or are dreading something, somehow hope's going to take away this problem or at least let you get over it. But the reality is it stays with us. The hope seems to be not now, but later, like the man waiting to win the lottery. We can still hope it's going to be okay. Paul, Paul the, the apostle, I say that because I was once actually driving with Heather through um, northern Cyprus, and Heather said to me, Paul preached over there. I said, Paul who? <laughs> I was so embarrassed at the time. So, so Paul the Apostle, it's true, this. Paul the Apostle famously said in 1 Corinthians 13, and now these things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But it's interesting that he puts hope in there. Paul puts hope in there. And the Greek word he uses is elpis. That's the actual word that's in the the, the Greek definition. And the definition is hope, expectation, trust, and confidence. That's, That's what that elpis means. Hope, expectation, trust, and confidence. Now, we're talking about this now because this is the season of Advent. And because more than anything, Advent is always seen in the Christian calendar as a time of hope. Hope in the coming of Jesus. Hope in the second coming. Hope that is Mother Julian's words, that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. That's that's the sort of hope of Advent. And we're looking forward to all of that. But it's also interesting, as I said last week, that the root meaning of the word Advent is the two Latin words, ad and venere. Ad means to and venere means come. So so actually, Advent is a coming to. It is an arrival. That is the meaning of Advent. It is an arrival, an ad venere, a coming to, an arrival. It's actually about arriving into something. I think, rather than looking forward into the future. And I think the key to understanding how we can have that arrival and that hope at the same time, so how do we have the arrival and the hope at the same time, is the understanding of the importance of trust in the meaning of hope. The use of the word trust in the definition. Hope in the lottery, hope in salvation, hope for the future, Hope for a miracle when we have a diagnosis, to some extent, is a false hope, a kind of irrational longing that all will be well in spite of the circumstances. The sort of hope that's rooted in trust is the knowledge that we are already looked after, including the circumstances. That's the trust that we're talking about here. And it's not trying to get over the circumstances. It says that there is even something untouchable 
that will always be there for us, even within those circumstances. Something unknowable and untouchable, something that we can trust in. That, that wonderful quote from Romans 8, verse 28. I love this quote. And we know that in all things God works for good for those that love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Which, to paraphrase, really is that all things count for good for those that love the Lord. All things count for good for those that are reaching for the divine. And that's, that is the real trust that we can have. That is the real trust that we can have, the real meaning of all should be well and all manner of things shall be well. That trust is the moment of arrival. Entering into that trust is the moment of arrival. And for me, the real meaning, if we go into trust, you know, what is that? Because you have to really look at what you're talking about. The real meaning of trust is reliability. It is reliability. All things count for good for those that love the Lord. That idea that I like, that religion is really learning how to live life more skillfully. And it's really, in living life more skillfully, it's working out what we can rely on, what we can trust in. And I think it's this meaning of hope that we can do business with. You know, what we can rely on, what we can trust. If hope is not about something in the future, but about trust in the present, then that that is something we can actually stand in, we can arrive into. So what is it that makes us able to stand in that? Because, you you know, you have to work out what you can trust in. What is reliable? What is it that we can rely on that will make us able to say that all will be well and all manner of things will be well, even if life is falling around us? And for a lot of us, you know, life is falling around us. You know, there are things going on in our lives that make things very difficult. How can we say that within that? And I think the question does lie, the answer to that question does lie within each of us. And I think it lies within our hearts. And I think it lies within our innate goodness. That's where that trust lies. What enables us to do that is hinted at in the verse from Corinthians, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these in love. It is in our ability to touch love that our hope comes about. It is in our ability to touch love because, you know, God is love. And we are given our life out of love. If we can touch and own that love which is deep within us and express that love in the face of of any circumstances, then we have something that we can rely on, something that we can trust, something that's within us, something that gives us that hope which allows us to arrive. But it's something that we individually have to own and we have to cultivate it. The promise of Christmas, you know, of Christ coming at Christmas and the second coming I think I'm really merely prompts to get us to relax into that love. They're not the pie in the sky. They are the symbols of the evidence of that love, which is with us now. That love which gave each of you your lives. I said a couple of weeks ago that, that love is self-giving, the giving of the self. 
And it's that ultimate self that has given us our lives, which keeps us alive and which keeps everything else around us going. We are literally living in a sea of love, which is what life is. It's it's a sea of love. And in order to be able to swim in that sea properly, in order to be able to keep afloat, what we have to do is to be able to give that love from ourselves, to be able to come, become that which bore us, to become that which bore us, to become givers of love, to respond to all circumstances in a loving way, no matter what the circumstances. And that is, I've mentioned it before, the key thing, to respond to all circumstances in a loving way, no matter what the circumstances. And that brings us back to that quote from Viktor Frankl that I mentioned last week, that between stimulus and response, there is a space. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Advent asks us to choose a loving response. It shows us the symbols of that love, of Jesus, of the completion of time, the second coming. And it asks us in Advent to become love. The answer to the wise man, unsure of his influence, is to become love. The answer to the poor widow waiting to be taken seriously is to become love. The answer to the old man's salvation is to become love. The young mother's answer to fears for her children is to become love. And the answer to everyone, to all of us, to every man and every woman who is waiting is to become love. And so the answer from God is to give the symbols of love, the desert, the cradle, the marketplace, the table, the cross, the grave, the throne in your heart. And when we enter that love, our prayers are answered and our waiting is over. When we enter into that love, we arrive and our waiting ends in joy. Love is the one thing we can rely on. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And here's the key line, love never fails. Love never fails. And there you have it, the answer to the problem of hope and the problem of trust. Love never fails. Paul says that love is something that can be completely relied upon. It never fails. It is an arrival point. And so we have something to put our trust in and therefore gives us real hope that all things count for good for those that love. To live in love is to arrive. To arrive in heaven. Heaven, which is this life truly seen. Heaven is this life truly seen. Not pie in the sky when you die, but right now, Right here, life truly seen. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And what is not of that love, what is not of that love, what is mean, what is unlovely, what is cruel, what is unkind, what is self-serving, all of that is false. False righteousness, false hope, false self, false life. And it will pass away. Because it it has no basis in truth. It has no basis in truth. 
And where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. We do pray in this time of Advent that we will enter into that love in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, and express that love. And so arrive at that point of being in love and of love. We pray for our town at this time, people arriving here, those looking after them and welcoming them. Pray for the valley, people in fear and difficulty. Pray for our country. Pray for those in trauma over the fire in Oakland. Pray for those in Aleppo, all over the world in danger and difficulty without love, without care, without comfort. Lord, we pray that your love may come into our world and transform it. And we especially pray for those close to our community here, for Patricia Hill, for Barbara Orcutt, for Will Welsh, Maureen Hirsch, Elise Strickland, Valbrit Karlberg, Cherise, Paul Mayer, Elaine Pagels, Catherine Malaki Myers, Tegan James Sullivan, and Anne, Honne- Anne Hodges, who helps with the art gallery, who's recovering from burns in a hospital in Denver. Lord, we just Ask your blessing on these people, that your healing love may be with them, and that you may enable them to come to health. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.